from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Hello Earthlings and welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your weekly overview of everything important on planet Earth. I'm Eric Espiotrowski, a.k.a. Duke Scaff in the world of video games, a.k.a. Scartall in the world of Wikipedia. Each week I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is, a brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge I persevere, but find out do me a favor. favor. Let me in here, and we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the I gotta start this week by saying, mm, thanks to Diane for making these awesome deviled eggs. I just ate the last one. So, with apologies to William Carlos Williams, <clears throat> this is just to say I have eaten the deviled eggs that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for a snack or dinner. Mm. Forgive me, they were so delicious, so sweet, and so cold. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy weekend. I spent the last three days grading student papers. I graded like 400, I, I did the math at one point, I had an exact number, like 450 pages of student writing. I went through two red pens this weekend. So my brain is completely blitzed. I have no idea what's going on. My head hurts. I'm kind of sore, but uh, I'm also feeling pretty good. So you know what? Let's just do this, man. Um, I was listening to Greg Proops recently, and that that podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, is so much fun, and I was thinking, man, oh, dude, I should do a live show like he does, because he always records his podcast live, and he has all these funny stories, and he's telling jokes, and he's just a naturally witty, off-the-cuff guy, and he has all this information ready to go all the time, and I confront and make it look like I have all that information, but usually I'm reading it off of something. So, I don't know, wouldn't that be cool, though, to do a live didactic syncast and have people there asking questions and, I don't know, maybe it would be stupid. I See, that's the thing, is I think, like, oh, I should be like him, but, you know what, I can't try to be like anyone else, because I'm me, so I should be me, whatever, like Wanda Sykes, I'm gonna be me. Anyway, <laughs> I'm feeling kind of giddy. I had a Ross Noble kind of day at school today, because I was off on all these tangents, and I kept saying, here's a face, next muffin, there's a face, next muffin, and the student's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Ross Noble, hello, and they're like, who's that? I'm like, never mind, and then I gave them a story by Jeanette Tompkins, and she's like, what? No, Thompson, Jeanette Thompson, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Someday I'll tell you about me and Jeanette Thompson, because she's a great writer, and uh, yeah, I have a story by her that no one else has. Um, yeah, what? Money. Let's talk money. Uh, we'll get to money money later, but the first few thoughts I have are about money, and I'm trying not to be like, a slave to the clock, keep moving faster. I was watching the Frontline Money, Power, and Wall Street documentary, and you know what? It is so very superb. Please, please watch it if you have not already done so. And while I was watching it, I realized why no U.S. president would ever let banks like Goldman Sachs go under. And I've been saying that ever since I saw someone suggest it once upon a time. I think it was Paul Krugman's like, no president would let these banks go under. It's because, it's not just because the failure of the banks would be bad, and it would, but we let Lehman Brothers go down and it was like, oh crap, what did we do? Why would we, ah, don't do that anymore. 
the real reason they can't let these Wall Street things go down is because the whole Wall Street casino is based not on reality, but on the perception of reality, like Cosmo said in Sneakers, right? So if the president let one bank go down, and this is what we saw after Lehman crashed, Every bank would experience hideous pain and there would be a system crash. And we almost had one after Lehman went down. And no president's going to let that happen on their watch. So Bush and Obama, all of them are going to be like, you know what? We can't let another one crash. Because when they let Lehman go down, they were like looking into the abyss. And they were like, this is going to go down. And of course, the real shame here is that the biggest single mistake we made in 2008 was not just bailing out the banks. Because, like I say, I don't think the bailout was inevitable. I think the bailout was inevitable. There was no, and the Tea Party, the, uh, we should just let it fail, whatever. No, it's not going to happen because that would be a much, much worse disaster than bailing them out. But here's the thing, and this is hopefully where both the Tea Party and the Tea Party ought to be able to agree with Occupy Wall Street on this. We bailed out the banks without demanding changes to regulation, without reinstating Glass-Steagall, etc., etc. And, I mean, the bail if the bailout had to happen, and let's say it did, okay, yeah, and I think it did. That means, like, look, you can have this communion wafer, but you got to do the Hail Marys, Goldman Sachs, and AIG, and all the rest of it. Ah, it makes me so mad, because people are like, even now, people are like, oh, no, we can't change anything. And freaking Business Week had a story that was like, the banks are even too bigger to fail. So that's just messed up, but whatever, we'll get to that. Let's talk about some what's going on in the world. Uh, so I know that like May 1st is always May Day, but not in the U.S. apparently because Obama declared, I'm not making this up people, he declared May 1st, 2012, Loyalty Day. I, I, what? War is peace. Freedom is slavery. On loyal, this is from his pr- official proclamation. On Loyalty Day, we rededicate ourselves to the common good, to the cornerstones of liberty, equality, justice, and to the unending pursuit of a more perfect union. In order to recognize the American spirit of loyalty and the sacrifices that so many have made for our nation, the Congress, by public law 85, blah, 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 has designated May 1st of each year as Loyalty Day. On this day, let us reaffirm our allegiance to the United States of America, our Constitution, and our founding values. You know what? Look, I'm sorry. I I love this country. I pledge my allegiance to the principles of this country and its constitution. But you know what? That's not my supreme allegiance. My allegiance is pledged to ideals like democracy and human rights and justice in, in their abstract. And, and if, if this country, the United States, does anything that goes against those principles, and I hate to break it to you people, sometimes we do, well, sometimes the government does, uh, I'm not going to go along with it. I'm going to speak out against it. So this whole loyalty day thing is really stupid. What are you thinking, Obama? Aren't you trying to get us to vote for you? It, maybe that's what this is, is some weird gambit trying to get people to be like, oh, he pledges loyalty day. Okay, I'm going to go along with that. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Let's talk about something happier. Uh, the blind dude. I told y'all about him. Cheng Wang Cheng. 
uh, he was a blind dude who escaped, and it's all very interesting. And he said he wanted to kiss Hillary Clinton and all this stuff. He may be able to leave China, but here's the latest news is that he fears his nephew may be tortured. Uh, the nephew previously said, and so he says if he leaves, then maybe the Chinese authorities are going to start torturing his nephew. The nephew previously said he stabbed one of the intruders. There was someone breaking into his house. In an act of self-defense, his lawyer, uh, who was being closely monitored by the police, said he was unable to talk freely about the case, which was still under investigation, but... He feared the arrests of family members could hinder Chen's departure. Quote, it's hard to know how the local authorities will act as they do not seem to behave rationally, Liu said. But if more family members are arrested, it will be less likely that Chen can go abroad. Maybe he will end up stuck in China. Chen said he was aware of his nephew's condition, but his own experience in Lin Yi had taught him to fear the worst. Quote, my nephew certainly can't be in good condition in their hands. He'll certainly be tortured there. The public service, security organs, procuratorial organs, and people's courts are absolutely lawless in Shandong province. So this may be one of those cases where we got to keep the pressure on. And I hope the U.S. government does the right thing because it kind of seems like we hustled him out of the embassy and like, get out of here, get out of here. And I mean, okay, look, like, what's China saying? Like, There's an escaped convict and you're sheltering him in your embassy, U.S. What's up with that? But, of course, why is he being held? Because he's been protesting against, you know, forced abortions and China's one-child policy and all the rest of it. Ah, <laughs> Uh, there's news about the C.C. McDonald case. Uh, if you don't, haven't been with us, this is your first time listening, huh, good luck to you. Uh, this story is about a transgendered woman who uh, is being charged with, or she was being charged with, second-degree murder. Uh, the news this week is that she's pleading guilty to a second-degree manslaughter charge, and uh, she was uh, harassed by this guy, who, uh, this group of white people, and she's a black woman, and they were like, oh, you know, calling her N-word and all sorts of horrible, you know, transphobic uh, comments and all the rest of it, and... Uh, so anyway, the plea to second-degree manslaughter came as 100 or so of McDonald's supporters gathered at the Hennepin County Government Center, still demanding the case be dropped. Her supporters said the June 5th confrontation included transgender and racial slurs directed at McDonald 23, who's been transitioning from a man to a woman. Uh, prosecutors didn't dispute there were slurs, but also point out that during her plea in Hennepin uh, County District Court, uh, McDonald agreed to stop claiming that stabbing was in self-defense or accidental, and she also admitted that she could see that Schmitz did not have a weapon. Um, McDonald will be sentenced June 4th, most likely three years and five months in prison. She was being held Wednesday evening in the Hennepin County Jail. Now, Schmitz didn't have a weapon. The person she killed, the guy, did not have a weapon. But there was a woman who smashed uh, McDonald in the face with a bar glass, lacerating her taste buds and stuff. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of... There was violence plenty at this incident. So, uh, lest anybody think it was just McDonald uh, lashing out or, like, planning to kill somebody. She was responding to violence inflicted on her. So, there's that. Um, meanwhile, there was this guy in Arizona named J.T. Reddy. What a weird name. Uh, and he went on this anti... Well, <clears throat> he was an anti-immigrant vigilante, as he was described in the USA Today. And uh, he went on this killing spree in Arizona that had to do with his family. And it was probably not related to his anti-immigrant sentiment, but... Uh, for several years, uh, Arizona vigilante J.T. Reddy conducted armed civilian patrols along the U.S. border, urging the use of violence to prevent smuggling and illegal immigration. On Wednesday, the former Marine, who was running for Pinal County Sheriff, went on a shooting rampage in a sedate Gilbert neighborhood, killing four people before he took his own life, authorities believe. And that's one of the things that really pisses me off when this stuff happens, because it's always guys, sorry guys, but we tend to do this more than women do, go crazy and kill our girlfriends and our children and then ourselves. 
is why doesn't the guy ever take his own life first? Why does he have to go kill other people and then kill himself? I mean, I think every loss of life is a tragedy, and I think when someone kills themselves, it's horrible and hideous, even when that person's done something wrong. But uh, it's it's even worse to take someone else's life. I mean, what the hell? The victims ranged from a 16-month-old infant to a 47-year-old grandmother. Investigators have yet to list a motive for the killing spree, but early indications suggested an explosion of domestic violence rather than a political act. So... Yeah, it's, uh, but you know what? I'm sorry. If somebody's walking around with guns telling people to get armed to keep the immigrants from coming in, uh, I'm not too shocked that it then became, my girlfriend pissed me off, I'm gonna kill her. And that's all kinds of screwed up, so, and he also belonged to the National Socialist Movement, which espouses white supremacist theories, yada, 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 yada. Speaking of idiotic, scumbag, violent jerkbags, um... There's a report about Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, these group of MPs, a culture committee, uh, stated that Rupert Murdoch is not a fit person to lead News Corp. Yes. Now, this hasn't got the weight of law or anything. Like, let's disband his corporations. No, that's what should happen, but it's not going to happen. Instead, they said, he's not doing a very good job as head of News Corp. Uh, actually, the British. He's not doing a very good job. He's headed news corp. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. You can send your compliments for my flawless British accent, like Bender on Futurama. Now I have a British accent? No, now you're in a coma. Get in bed and don't move. Lousy, stupid coma. Could have been British. Uh, the Culture Committee questioned journalists and bosses at the now-closed News of the World, as well as police and lawyers for hacking victims. Its report had concluded that Mr. Murdoch exhibited, quote, willful blindness to what was going on in News Corporation, but the committee was split six to four, with Tory members refusing to endorse the report and branding it as partisan. This is exactly the same thing we saw with the uh, economic collapse commission thing they're partisan lines and everyone's on party lines and uh, i can see that that person mutilated the ra rabbit's eyeballs but i think that it's a attack from that political party i don't like to point out that the guy mutilated the baby rabbit's eyeballs so i'm not going to endorse this report it's partisan Huh. The committee itself does not have power to impose sanctions. What a shock. But it raised the possibility of a vote in the House of Commons about whether witnesses have been in contempt of Parliament, and if so, whether those witnesses should be forced to apologize in Parliament. Oh, what a horrible fate. What a freaking tragedy! At the end of My Cousin Vinny, right? And, oh, God, what a nightmare! Imagine you're a dear. Anyway, uh, that's ridiculous. They wouldn't even agree that people needed to apologize because these people lied to Parliament. I mean, give me a break. And Rupert Murdoch, we know he lied. We know he lied. We just can't prove it. And I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I, I'm glad the standard of, you know, the burden of proof is high standard. But you know what? This is what should have known, man. Rupert Murdoch should have known what was going on. And he's, again, this is that same thing. I was just talking about this last week. It's that same thing of like, oh, I didn't know what was going on in my huge corporation that I'm the CEO of and I get all the money from. Uh, how was I supposed to know what was going on? Should have known. You're going to prison. <sighs> well, that's what happens in my head when these CEOs come up in front of legislative bodies. Instead, what really happens is, I'll tell you what, don't send me to prison and I'll give you millions of dollars. Okay, you're free to go. Thank you. <sighs> However, uh, back in the good old USA, America, oh yeah, um, 
We're number one. We no wait. We're number like a million because there was a new report that said the headline in which journal is this? The New York Times. Ah, that lefty rag. Uh, the U.S. lags in global measure of preterm births. Woo! And there's a special link for people who know about East Timor. Stay tuned. Uh, the United States fared badly in the first country-by-country country global comparison of premature births, which was released Wednesday according to the World Health Organization and other agencies. Uh, although American hospitals excel at saving premature infants, the United States is similar to developing countries in the percentage of mothers who give birth before their child is due, the study's chief author noted. It does worse than any Western European country and considerably worse than Japan or the Scandinavian countries. That stems from the unique American combination. Oh, I love those words. This is about American exceptionalism, like Sarah Palin's always talking about. It's true. It's not just a theory. Uh, the unique American combination of many pregnant teenagers and many women over 35 giving birth, sometimes to twins or triplets implanted after in vitro fertilization, the author said. Also, many American women of childbearing age have other risk factors for premature birth, like obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking habits, and they don't mention anything about health insurance. Oh, wait, no, here's the next thing about health insurance. Many women who lack health insurance, the many women who lack health insurance, often do not see doctors early in their pregnancies when problems like high blood pressure or genital infections can be headed off. Gee, I wonder why so many people don't have health insurance in the United States. Maybe we should make it a law. You have to have... That's a beautiful way to approach this. Yeah, you're going to go to jail if you don't have health insurance. I'm too poor. Tough. Find a way. Rob a bank. Or better yet, own a bank. Um, the United States, here we go, the international connection. The United, well, I guess the whole story is an international connection. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Shut up, Robert. He's not coming back. Just kidding. Uh, the United, <laughs> I can't think straight. It's like tangent, tangent, tan There's a face. Next muffin. Uh, the United States shares the 12% range with Kenya. Kenya. Think about that. The United States and Kenya, neck and neck when it comes to premature births. It couldn't have anything to do with our lack of a single-payer healthcare system like they have in every other industrialized nation in the world. No, that's not it. It's 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 because it, no, it's it's global warming is a myth. Uh, Kenya, Turkey, Thailand, East Timor. Woo! East Timor! Viva Timor Norse! Honduras, and Honduras, meaning one in nine births is early. The rate in the United States has risen 30% since 1981. So, 30%! Woo! Uh, meanwhile, good news from the U.S. Vermont bans fracking. If you don't know about fracking, you do need to watch a documentary film called uh, the. It's called Gasland. It's awesome. It's the dude. He's playing this banjo in these oil fields or the gas fields. It's fantastic. It's really good, and it's all about him in his backyard and like, hey, what's going on? And then they're like lighting the gas on or lighting the water on fire when it's coming out of the tap. And it's like, hey, do you say this stuff is safe? Mining people here, drink it. And they're like, oh no, thank you. I'm not thirsty. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Give me some. Evidence. Uh, with a 103 to 36 vote in the House of Representatives, Vermont on Friday became the first state to ban hydraulic fracturing to extract oil or natural gas. The bill passed the Senate earlier this week. Boom! Way to go, Vermont. Thank you for showing us the way. We got a precedent. Let's make this happen in every state of the union. We don't need it. We don't need to be making our water toxic by pushing these hideous chemicals into the freaking earth. Let's put some money into solar and high wind power and 
Gasland. Watch it. It's really good. He's going to come out with another one soon, I'm sure. Uh, Kenneth Chamberlain shooting. I didn't really organize this news very well, but uh, back to killing of people, especially when race is involved. Uh, yeah, uh, Kenneth Chamberlain. The federal prosecutors are going to investigate it. Uh, this was the Marine. Uh, the cops were called in because his life alert thing went off accidentally, and uh, the federal prosecutors will investigate the case of a white police officer who shot and killed an ailing 68-year-old black veteran in his own apartment, a spokeswoman said Friday. Uh, quote, consistent with our office's practices in cases of this kind, we will review all the available evidence, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, uh, to determine whether there are any violations of the federal criminal civil rights laws. I'm guessing there were, but that's just me. I don't know all the details, so whatever. Uh, he spoke one day after a New York grand jury declined to indict Anthony Corelli, the officer who fired the fatal shot. So that's all kind of messed up. That The grand jury said, no, we're not going to prosecute, but uh, now the feds are stepping in, so let's see what's going to happen here. And finally, on current events, some really good news. Aung San Suu Kyi took her parliament seat. Yes! Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi is an awesome woman. She won the Nobel Peace Prize. She's been fighting in a nonviolent way for reform in Burma. She's been having a lot of success. She's an amazing woman. She's just really cool. And she has lots of cool things to say about Buddhism and democracy and nonviolence and lots of other stuff. Uh, she took her seat in Myanmar's Parliament Tuesday, a.k.a. Burma, uh, a historic step of greater symbolic significance than immediate political impact. The Nobel Prize winner, who spent much of the past two decades in detention, pledged before the Speaker of the House to upload the, uphold the Constitution alongside other members of her National League for Democracy Party, and there had been a little, you know, thing, this is from the LA Times, uh, about the uh, boycott over the oath's wording and all the rest of it, whatever. Uh, the main opposition party in Myanmar uh, initially balked at pledging to respect a constitution it has vowed to try to amend, but then they realized, you know what, whatever, we can respect this constitution, and yada, yada, yada. Um, and she said, I have always been cautiously optimistic about developments. She told reporters, in politics, you also have to be cautiously optimistic. So, uh, she's a beautiful example of the human spirit, never given up, never given in to despair or to negativity or to hatred or any of the rest of it. So I just think it's really cool that she's finally in parliament and where she belongs. And hopefully someday maybe she'll be prime minister. We'll get the military junta out of there and we'll have some real peace and democracy in Burma. And you know what? We don't need you coming in Rambo to make it happen. I dragged my friends to that stupid Rambo movie where it goes into Burma and just shoots everybody. And I was laughing so hard because it was my birthday. I'm like, you have to come to where I want to go. And so we watched that stupid movie. And there were people near us in the theater who were like taking it seriously. And we're laughing our heads off. Ah, it's so stupid. And they're like giving us nasty looks. I'm like, oh my God, you're taking this seriously? I'm sorry. I can't be quiet because this is really stupid. And apparently you don't understand how stupid this movie is. And I'm sorry, by the way, to anybody listening who really likes that Rambo movie. because not, I'm not sorry if I've offended you. I'm just sorry that you like that stupid movie. Because it's so stupid. And yes, that's a Bill Hicks joke. Okay, I stole it. I'm sorry. Let's talk economics. Um, neutrinos to give high-frequency traders the millisecond edge. You thought lasers and sharks and robots were going to make you have an edge on your competitors? Screw that! Neutrinos, baby! It's coming down to neutrinos. I can't wait until it's like... Dude, they're, they're going to be at CERN. Don't think they want... The LHC, they're going to be like... 
Have you found the Higgs boson particle yet? Like, almost. Tomorrow it's probably going to happen. And they have the test, and the scientists are all like, Yes, we finally found the Higgs boson! And the stock people will come along and go, Get out of the way! We need it for trading high-frequency stock trading! And they're like, This is the most significant find in the history of astrophysics. They're like, Whatever, egghead! Get out of my face! I need to use this to make a little more money on Wall Street! Um... I wish I were making this up. Uh, Forbes magazine, you know, crazy lunatic left-wing Forbes. Uh, Eighty-some years after Wolfgang Pauli first postulated its existence, the lowly neutrino is now on the cusp of being harnessed to facilitate automated high-frequency trading through Earth itself! And you know this is what Wolfgang Pauli had in mind when he was like, I think there's neutrinos. You know there was some... He was thinking, man, I hope they use this to make money on Wall Street someday. Uh, that is, if the weakly interacting electrically neutral subatomic particle can be successfully time-encoded and pointed from one financial center to another, and I think I speak for all humankind when I say, please, Jeebus, help us to successfully time-encode these weakly interacting electrically neutral subatomic particles in order to point them from one financial center to another. <laughs> to per quote, to produce encoded neutrinos, you would need an accelerator which you can control in order to accelerate. This is about trading stocks, Okay. In order to accelerate protons to high energy, then slam them into a target and let the resulting secondary particles decay into neutrinos, said John Learned, a particle physicist at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. The higher the energy, the better the neutrinos would point. So again, they're going to be at the LHC at some point, like, get out of the way, we need this! I need this! What's that? It's the Dave Chappelle. I need this. Whatever. Uh, it might also be possible for a neutrino communication startup to buy time on an existing accelerator. So, okay, they're not going to be shoving the nerds out of the way. They're going to be like, hey, let me pay you to slam these things into each other so we can trade stocks. It doesn't even make sense. No, it makes sense. Uh... <laughs> it does make sense. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna divorce you when I get all this flaming Dr. Pepper money. Um. <laughs> yeah, Hannibal Burris. Uh, but Hog. Uh, Hog. Who is this Hog person? Whatever. I miss. I skipped some part of the article. It might also be possible for a neutrino communication startup to buy time an existing accelerator uh, in order to create and point a neutrino beam line in the needed direction. Otherwise, private particle accelerators would have to be built from scratch. Uh, how annoying would that be? Why? What are you doing? Building a particle accelerator? Ooh, are you trying to explore the mysteries of the space-time continuum? What? Of course not. What are you talking about? I'm trying to trade stocks. With a particle accelerator. Duh! Uh, but someone named Haug contends that if a group of particle physicists had a right plan for technology, Wall Street money, quote, would be there to make it happen. The money's there, in other words. We have a lot of money, is what they're saying. Wall Street, people in the United States have a lot of money. There's plenty of money around for what's really important. A particle accelerator so that weakly interacting electrically neutral subatomic particles can be successfully time-encoded and pointed from one financial center to another. That's what's really important. And poor people, homeless, I'm sorry, suck it! Get out of the way of the particle accelerators that are being used so that weakly interacting electrically neutral subatomic particles can be successfully time-encoded and pointed from one financial center to another. Teachers can't have unions in Wisconsin anymore. Why? Because we need to spend money so that we... This is a pill that gives worms to ex-girlfriends. Um... <laughs>
<laughs> I can't get over it. It's too funny. Uh, all right. Richard Wolf was a guy. <laughs> he's a guy. There's a guy named Richard Wolf. You know, just some guy. Uh, no, he's an, he's an economist. He's a socialist economist. <gasps> don't don't say that too loud. People will stop listening to him because you're never supposed to admit that someone's a socialist. You ask me drinking water. What of it? You want to start something? You want to be starting something? Got to be starting something. Uh, so Richard Wolf, he's an economist. He was on Smiley and West. He was really cool. Uh, he was talking about... Uh, Smiley and West is a great show. You should listen to it. It's uh, Cornell West and Tavis Smiley. Really interesting guys. They have really good guests on. And this Richard Wolf guy is a really good example. And Wolf was saying that the vast majority of the benefits of technological development... And let's be honest. When they started selling us, ooh, personal computers, all these technological advancements, it's going to make life better for everyone. And no doubt it has. Has, but the vast majority of the wealth has gone to the wealthiest 1% of people, right? And the rest of us have seen our working hours get longer, if anything. Our wages have stayed stagnant. And meanwhile, this top 1% has just gotten all the money and all the most of the benefits, 90 at least percent of the benefits of this technological innovation. And so Tavis Smiley asked him, okay, but here's the thing. He's like, let me play devil's advocate. If they're the ones who invented or invested in this technology, why shouldn't they get all the benefits, economically speaking, of the rest of, the, of this innovation? And here's what Wolf said. It's a very interesting answer. Take a listen. If we've learned anything over the millennia, we have learned that when a particular individual makes a breakthrough, uh, figures something out that we didn't know how to do before, if you examine how that individual came to do it, you discover the not-so-difficult-to-discern activity of a million other individuals. The one who makes the breakthrough had a good teacher, or maybe six or ten, had a certain kind of mother and a certain kind yeah, of good father, teacher. and a you certain exposure to certain cultural possibilities, and had a university experience, or had a technical training session. In terms of the reality... It takes not only a village to raise a child, it takes a whole society to make a technological breakthrough. And it is very bizarre, not just in capitalism, but in any system, to take the last step in a long chain of creative activity and give it a disproportionate reward and let all the others who participated uh, languish alongside. Why not share in the whole of the society, the rewards of what, in the end, all of society helped to do. The teacher that inspired the one yeah, who the developed the teacher especially. Chip, the parent who was supportive, the friends who were, in, in a thousand ways, helpful, the colleagues in the laboratory, the writer of an article that stimulated an insight. All of those people, or in short, the whole community, plays a role. But, you know, mostly the teacher, I would say. I think the teacher is the one that really deserves the most credit and the most money because we're the most important people in the whole society. So give me money is what I'm saying. I'm just kidding. I don't really want a lot of money. Um, Reddit. Let me tell you what Reddit is because this is I'm coming to something to do with economics. But first, I need to tell you what Reddit is. Reddit's a website that it's kind of hard to explain. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the matrix is. Uh, but... 
Okay, so basically it's a bunch of links or sometimes they're self-text posts, people writing stuff about what they're thinking. Um, and then you people upvote it or downvote it and you can comment and people upvote and downvote the comments. That's pretty much all of Reddit is. And the, the interesting thing about it is that it's subdivided. There are subreddits uh, about everything. There's one about video games called gaming. There's one about the Xbox 360 specifically. There's one about the PS3. Um, there's one about education. There's one about Zen. There's one about bowling. There's one about Baduk or Go. Uh, there's one about permaculture. There's one about fa uh, farming and gardening and, you know, anything you're interested in. There's one about roller skating, probably, Stu. I don't know for sure, but I would guess there's probably one about roller skating. And Chinny, there's probably one about video production and anything else. Snooker! There's probably one about snooker. Uh, sorry, snooker! 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 Uh, anyway, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so here's another interesting thing about Reddit is that they have this thing called AMA. It stands for Ask Me Anything. And they have people who come on and they say, here's who I am, ask me anything. And some of them are stupid. They have one called, they have a subreddit called Casual AMA, which is usually stuff like, I'm a bored 13-year-old kid at home after school, ask me anything. What are you going to ask him? Did you do your homework yet? No. Oh boy, this is a great AMA. But sometimes they have really cool AMAs. I I think Ricky Gervais is supposed to do one soon. Uh, um, Morgan Spurlock, the guy who did Supersize Me, he did an AMA. That was very interesting. Unfortunately, unless you're there right when they start, they fill up with questions instantly, and there's like thousands of questions, and the person answers as many as they can, but usually after like 20 minutes, they're like, okay, I don't have time for any more. I got to go. And so that's the end of it. And you're lucky if your question gets answered at all. Um, but it's really interesting to see. Usually someone will ask the question you want to ask. So even if you can't be there for the actual AMA, you can read through it. And it's very interesting. So Paul Krugman did one. Hey, Paul Krugman, why aren't you doing an AMA? Uh, yeah, and it was very interesting. And it, I recommend you read the whole thing. But somebody asked him, "What's uh, why is austerity bad? And he answered this way, <clears throat> quote, if nobody is buying, nobody can sell. Austerity in a depressed economy makes the depression deeper, and that is, I believe, a point people can grasp. Of course, it's a point made easier to grasp now that the Irish and others have given us such clear examples of how bad the results of austerity can be. And this is why I think these austerity measures in Greece and Italy and Portugal and Spain and elsewhere, uh, they're really bad news, and it's Germany imposing an iron will on everybody else, which is so weird. It's so unlike Germany. <clears throat> We Germans are not a warlike people, but even we have our limits. Uh, anyway, so I just thought that was very interesting. Read the whole rest of it. Meanwhile, Business Week. Business Week, that lefty commie paper they in magazine. They said, they had an editorial that said, raise the minimum wage. Business Week said this. It's, things are pretty bad when Business Week is saying, we should raise the minimum wage. Congress last increased the rate in stages in 2007, topping it out at 7.25 an hour in 2009, or $15,000 a year. And when the average minimum wage is 5.15, you best believe you gotta find a new way to get cream, as most defs said. Excuse me, Yasin Bey. Pick a name, dude. All right, uh, that amount, when adjusted for inflation, is actually lower than what a minimum wage worker earned in 1968, and is too. Me this is from Business Week. Too meager to offer anyone the chance to climb out of poverty, let alone afford basic goods and services. Raising the minimum wage won't entirely solve the problem of anemic incomes, but it would help. Economists have long found that boosting the minimum wage can raise income levels for those earning just above the minimum. Employers seeking to protect wage ladders often bump up salaries for slightly higher paid employees too. So, duh, let's, I mean, come on, man, it's 
Business Week. And like I said, Business Week also had to, oh wait, Chris Rock said about minimum wage. You know what they're trying to tell you when they pay you the minimum wage? You know what your boss is trying to say? Hey, look, if I could pay you less, I would. But it's against the law. Um, how you doing? You know how I'm doing? I'm doing bad. That's how I'm doing. How come I'm doing anything with this little bit of money you're paying me? Uh, Business Week also had the article, as I said before, big banks now even too bigger to fail. Quote, Business Week. I'm not quoting like this, the, the Socialist Worker Party newsletter here, man. Two years after President Barack Obama vowed to eliminate the danger of financial institutions that are too big to fail, the nation's largest banks are bigger than they were before the financial meltdown. The big five today are about twice as large as they were a decade ago relative to the economy, meaning trouble at a major bank would leave the government with the same Hobson's choice. I don't know what that means. Uh, it faced in 2008, let a big bank collapse and perhaps wreck the entire economy or inflame public ire with a costly bailout. Well, like I said, we know what the government's going to choose it will not let the banks crash and burn because it will destroy the whole economy so what's the answer break them up break it up crank it that's the song from bruno crank it up uh yeah uh in other news also from business week millionaires who dream of giving more to the irs of course they could do it on their own that's not the point there are at least 200 more like them all members of patriotic millionaires for fiscal strength they're like warren buffett people who say they should get taxed more and I mean, 200 millionaires saying please tax us more its ranks include Ben and Jerry's co-founder Ben Cohen, retired Google engineer Frank Jernigan, uh, actress Edie Falco. Edie Falco, what? If you don't know, you're sleeping. Oz, yeah, baby, Diane, what an awesome name, right? And she's a great actor, and she was on um, 30 Rock. She was Jack's uh, girlfriend, the senator, the representative or whatever. Uh, and T2 Partners fun Whitney Tilson. So when Whitney Tilson's on board, I mean, come on. I'm just kidding. I have no idea who Whitney Tilson is. Uh, business week also sometimes I just go down to the library and read business week what a fun I you know when it's time for leisure time I really take it easy I hang out kick back I don't play any video games as you know if you listen to this week's veteran gamers but I do read business week I also just started an 800 page biography of Emile Zola and it's got a quote from Graham Robb on the front it's splendid you know the only reason he did that is so that the guy who wrote the Zola biography would give him a blurb for his Balzac book come on Graham Robb you probably didn't even read it did you quit lying anyway uh I also got the Ico book I got to finish excuse me Ico uh, I'm on page 254 of that. All right, what am I doing? You're right. Okay, business week. Focus. Come on, Piotrowski. Uh, why we work on the weekend. Mason Curry, who runs the blog Daily Routines, is an expert on people's work schedules. He can tell you that Benjamin Franklin worked eight hours a day every single day, while Simone de Beauvoir worked about seven. I must have copied this wrong. I wrote Simon de Beauvoir. I hope that's not what it was in business week online. Because if they wrote Simon de Beauvoir, I'm just going to cry. Because that's ridiculous. Uh, Balzac was a... Oh, Balzac! Balzac is everywhere, baby! What? And I know Stu right now is going, oh, Balzac. <laughs> Come on, man. Step it up. Uh, he was a particularly avid workaholic. This is true, by the way. He put himself to a 15-hour workday that started at 1 a.m. And he drank coffee all the time. And he was, like, staying up late. And he'd eat huge meals. And, blah, 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 and like, father illegitimate children. And that's not cool. But whatever. Uh... 
a quote, a lot of people, creative people have pretty regularly and not glamorous working habits. They set aside a large, this is Curry, whoever, some expert. I just told you about him. He runs the blog Daily Routines. They set aside a large chunk of time every day, including the weekends, but when it's over, they have beautiful works of art that endure long after they're gone. The rest of us have simply forgotten to eat dinner. Ha ha, you forgot to eat dinner. But you know what? This is that Juliet Shore thing with the overworked American, and it's probably true about people in other countries too, but especially here in the U.S., because we just let government and business do whatever they want. Keep working, keep working, keep working. Wait a minute. Isn't the right to leisure a guaranteed uh, security under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? Who told you about that? Get back to work. Ah! All right. I have one story about education, I think. Uh, U.S. sues Princeton Review for fraud. Princeton Review is one of these companies that I don't believe it's actually from Princeton University, but I could be wrong. Anyway, this is from CNN, and uh, Princeton. So Princeton Review does this, like these test prep things. And I heard a story one time that said that some of these test prep, Kaplan and Princeton, and the rest of them. Uh, I heard someone say once that some of them artificially deflate your score. So if you went in and did a practice ACT and you got like a 30 or something, they would tell you you got a 26 so that you would think, oh, I got to get better and let me enroll in their course. Now, I don't have any evidence for that. That's just what I heard. It could be total bollocks. I don't know. But I do know that the U.S. is suing Princeton Review for fraud. Uh, the Princeton Review is being sued by the U.S. government for allegedly bilking a federal program for underprivileged children. According to a civil lawsuit filed Tuesday by the U.S. Attorney in New York, Princeton Review was paid, quote, tens of millions of dollars to provide after-school tutoring for students at troubled New York City schools from 2002 to 2010. Prosecutors said Princeton Review employees forged student signatures, falsified sign-in sheets, and provided false certifications in order to increase the company's payment as a provider of supplemental education services. So, that news makes me think it's not too crazy to suggest that maybe they cook the books for people who take their test prep uh, sample tests and and then they can go on and say you gotta take our courses but again i don't know for sure all i know is the united states is suing the princeton review where's your bathroom and now what bathroom what room killer robots what 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 what? never mind hey sexy mama Want to kill all humans? Do kids care if their robot friends are stuffed into a closet? There's this new story that came out about this experiment that took place, and it involves this RoboV, and I had talked about RoboV recently. Uh, They had some other thing about testing with RoboV, about lying. Remember that? Yeah. So this is that same robot, RoboV. Man, this RoboV, this is going to be the start of it, people. Mark my words. The core of the study was a 15-minute, very carefully structured interaction session between RoboV, a child, and several adult researchers. First, each child is introduced to RoboV, and the robot leads them them to a fish tank, not into a fish tank. That'd be a very different experiment. Go ahead. Get in the fish tank. Okay, RoboV, you're my best friend. Ah! Why are you drowning me? Pushing me under the tank? I can't breathe! Shut up, Timmy. This is part of the fun game. Ah! You're drowning me! No, that's not what happened. The robot leads them to a fish tank where it makes some small talk about fish and coral reefs. Wouldn't you love to have small talk with a robot about fish and coral reefs? Did you know the oldest coral reef is 7.3215698 billion years old? That's interesting, RoboV. Ah! Why are you pushing me under the water? Uh, this is... (laughs) RoboV, no wait, young child, you sound a lot like Robert. No, you sound like Robert. Uh, <laughs> so after the small talk about fish and coral reefs, they have a drink together. No, 
This is specifically intended, the small talk about fish and coral reefs, it's specifically intended to get the kid to agree to a particle accelerator to make neutrinos available for high-frequency trading. No, wait, that's not it either. Okay, the, uh, focus, Piotrowski. Uh, the small talk about fish and coral reefs is specifically intended to create a preliminary sort of bond between RoboV and the child through the sharing of interests and personal history. Because what child isn't interested in coral reefs? They're pretty interesting, I'm not going to lie, but I just don't know if that's how I would start. I might start with like, did you see Hey Arnold this week or whatever. Uh, I know Hey Arnold probably isn't on anymore. I don't know what kids watch. Uh, and several other subtle interactions like this promote such a bond through the interaction session. The game session involves a game of I Spy, a guessing game where RoboV gives the child verbal clues to help them locate objects around the room. So basically, RoboV is buttering them up with all this cuteness. After the game is finished, RoboV asks for a hug, which is another one of those bonding moments. Thanks, researchers. I never would have guessed that a hug is a ro uh, bonding moment. That's good that you told me that. Here's where things get interesting. In the middle of this phase of the game, an adult experimenter enters the lab and cuts the game short with some consequences for RoboV. Uh, after RoboV gets stuffed into the closet, the child, or in this case teenager, gets subjected to a 50-5-0 minute structured interview involving a series of questions designed to figure out, quote, whether, and if so, how children conceived of RoboV as a mental, social, and moral other. In other words, should the robot be treated like a person, or is it okay to treat it like a tool? Overall, 80% of the participants felt that RoboV was intelligent. 60% thought that RoboV had feelings. At the same time, over 80% believed that it was just fine for people to own and sell RoboV. Hmm. Only 50% of the children felt it was not alright to put RoboV in the closet, although close to 90% agreed with RoboV that it wasn't fair to put it in the closet and it should have been allowed to at least finish the game it was playing. So this is very interesting stuff about like what you can do or not. Also, thanks to Phil Olson for a story about the robot that shampoos your hair from the Daily Mail. Now, I always look at Daily Mail as like, I don't know, it's the Daily Mail. But I actually saw this in other outlets as well. So... A robot that will wash, massage, and blow-dry a user's hair has been developed by a technology giant Panasonic. Developed for the elderly and disabled, the robot is being tested in Japan before it becomes available for wider commercial use. The firm claims the gadget provides the ultimate head massage! The ultimate head massage! <laughs> I think they should have commercials that sell it that way. Are you ready for the ultimate head massage? <laughs> If you're not there, you better be in jail. And if you're in jail, break out. Uh, offering an experience superior to a person's normal shampooing capability. Hey, hairstylist, you suck. Robots are going to put you out of business. Get ready for it. And then they're going to pick stocks for you. And soon we'll have robot teachers. Actually, that guy on the YouTube who does the lessons is already making teachers obsolete. We should just get a big screen and have people watch YouTube all day. Giant flea fed on dinosaur blood like mosquito. Uh, this is, the Daily Mail also had a story about this, but I couldn't use that, because it was like, the headline was ludicrous, it was like, killer mutant flea sucks blood from everything, <laughs> and so I, I gotta find a more sensible news outlet, so this is from the New York Daily News, which is much more sensible, of course. Uh, a giant flea-like insect, possibly the oldest of its kind, sneaked up on a sleeping dinosaur and bit it on its soft underbelly to feed on its blood, much like a mosquito, says a researcher. Now, I think that was probably from later in the article, because I can't imagine they'd start with, says a researcher, <laughs> just a researcher. Hey, are you a researcher? Yeah. What do you think about these giant fleas? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they snuck up and bit them on the stomach. Uh, these... <laughs> 
<laughs> These insects, I'm like losing my mind. I'm just giddy. There's a face. Next muffin. Uh, these insects, similar but not identical to modern fleas, were probably ten times the size of a flea you might find crawling on the family dog with an extra painful bite to match. Chinese scientists have stumbled on remarkable fossils of these creatures. Quote, these were insects much larger than modern fleas, and from the size of their proboscis, they can tell, we can tell they would have been mean. You wouldn't talk much about the good old days if you got bit by this insect, says George Poinar Jr. He sounds like a Chinese scientist. What the heck? Uh, it would have felt like a hypodermic needle going in, a flea shot if not a flu shot. See what he did there? It's funny, isn't it? It's funny what he did. It's funny. Isn't that funny? We can be thankful our modern fleas are not nearly this big. Yeah, that's cute. What happens when the Jurassic Park scientists get a hold of this thing? And they go, it'd be a good idea to bring these... Ah, my eye! Ah, it's sucking the blood out of my eye! Get it off me! And finally, in uh, Killer Robot news, actually this isn't about Killer Robots, but it is about something other that's interesting. Uh, the DeLorean's Time Leap! You listening there, Mike? It's been 30 years since DeLorean Motor Company closed its factory in Belfast, Northern Ireland. The sports car it produced is an antique now, anachronistic, but its role in the three Back to the Future movies has turned it into a beloved icon for car nuts, film buffs, and fans of flux capacitor jokes. Now, you know what? I don't. I know a lot of people who like Back to the Future. I think they're great movies. I don't know if I know anyone who is, by, in and of itself, by by itself, a fan of flux capacitor jokes. I mean, are there really that many flux capacitor jokes to begin with? There's your challenge for the week, people. Send me flux capacitor jokes, and if they have to do with Back to the Future, then they're really Back to the Future jokes. I don't. I don't think it's fair to separate out flux capacitor jokes because. That they're not something. That's not a thing. Nobody's a fan of flux capacitor jokes. What are you talking about, Business Week? This is from Business Week, by the way. <laughs> I'm going. In, I'd like to rub this the angel with my foot. I'm going in for surgery tomorrow. It's foot surgery. <sighs> uh, it's cultural and keep going, Piotrowski. Come on, no time for laughing. No sleep till. Oh, we'll get to that soon. Oh, so sad. Uh, in uh, what? Its cultural endurance of the DeLorean has inspired Stephen Wynn, a former car mechanic, to bring the car back. It's coming back, baby. In 2013, the reincarnated DMC, a DMC from Departy, the D's for doing it all up the time, uh, will produce a new line of DeLoreans. The cars will have the same stainless steel body and signature gull wing doors as before, only now they'll be electric. You better get one of these, Chinny. Imagine how cool it would be if you showed up at a video shoot with a freaking DeLorean. You were like, whoosh. And you had a little flux capacitor in the back? That reminds me of a funny joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Flux capacitor. Flux capacitor who? Where we're going, we don't need roads. That's pretty funny, huh? All right, we got to talk about hip-hop. I'm, I'm happy to always talk about hip-hop, but this week it's sad news. Most people who are listening to this probably already know, but Adam Yauch, uh, a.k.a. MCA from the Beastie Boys, died this week. It was very sad. I had a student come in and tell me right before one of my classes, and I was like, what? No, you're lying. And he was like, it's true. And I looked it up, and it was true. And I was so sad because the Beastie Boys are awesome, and they're really important to me, and I'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, first, I want to play. No, I'll talk about them first. 
This is what I wrote on my blog, uh, and I linked to the post. It's on my blog. Strange place for it, right? Uh, the Beastie Boys changed a number of things about the rap game. They stepped out with Run DMC back in the day, breaking beats with the 808 on License to Ill and bringing hip-hop out of the shadows. But they were able to evolve in a way that Run DMC, let's be honest, never did. Run DMC gave it a good effort, but, I mean, the Av and Pause, those were not good songs. And then, like, Down with the King? I'm sorry, Kid Rock? Really? What were you thinking, Run DMC? Kid Rock? You gotta be kidding me. Not every song is gonna be Walk This Way. Whatever. Back to the Beastie Boys. They had been playing instruments since their earliest incarnation as a punk band, but when they picked them up again for Paul's Boutique and What You Want, or not What, what You Want, Ooh, I'm a big fan, I've been a fan, whatever, um, things changed, and they reinvented themselves into something for which most fans, myself included, were not prepared. Three Feet High and Rising was one thing, but the Beastie Boys took it to strange new places. I didn't get back on board, I'll be honest, until Check Your Head, but that album was everywhere at New College. A wall wasn't a wall without at least one cut from the Beasties, usually several, and when Ill Communication dropped two years later, MCA became my favorite of the boys. All three of them had shown their chops as musicians and lyricists, of course. Ad Rock gave us an unforgettable performance in Roadside Profits. If you've never seen that movie, oh my god, not only are you missing a great movie with awesome performances and Timothy Leary's in it, and there's that cop who's like, the sooner you open your eyes to the hideous truth around you, the sooner you'll wish you were dead! But it also has John Cusack in his best role ever. People who have seen Roadside Profits, come on, be honest, that's his best role ever. I mean, he's good in Hellcab, but not as good as he is in Roadside Profits. That's just too awesome. But Yauk seemed to have grown up more than the other guys, adopting a deep involvement with Buddhism as evidenced by his track Bodhisattva Vow. And so this was a thing on Ill Communication. He had a track called Shambhala, which of course is a reference to the fictional land of like Shangri-La as seen by uh, Buddhist monks. And in Tibet, which was the branch he really went into, um, yeah, Shambhala is of course this image of this sort of heavenly place. And you know, given the exile of the Tibetans, that's really important. So he put the Buddhist monk chanting on his album and he followed it up with the bodhisattva vow which is like this thing from buddhism and it's great i'm gonna play the whole thing here we go
I know I said I let the whole thing play, but you know what? I'm going to cut it off there because it's an awesome song, and God bless you, Beastie Boys, or, you know, Buddha bless you. I don't know what I should say, but, um, yeah, just as when Jam Master J died, this is likely to signal the end of the Beastie Boys, although I hope Mike D and Ad Rock will continue to make music. No trio could have hoped to produce a more impressive collection of albums or more excellent videos. Um, yeah, rest in peace, MCA. Your Bodhi essence enriches us all. Quote of the week. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting because the engine is near. But don't panic. You can't function if you live in fear. Pay attention. You got to listen to hear. Claude McKay was born in 1890 and died in 1948. He was born in Jamaica. He was an avid reader. McKay to began, poet, began to write poetry at the age of 10. By the time he immigrated into the U.S. in 1912, McKay had established himself as a poet and enrolled at Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. He came face-to-face -face with the unique forms of American racism and found his poetry career stifled. During the period of racial violence against blacks known as the Red Summer of 1919, uh, McKay wrote one of his best-known poems, the sonnet, If We Must Die an anthem of resistance, later quoted by Winston Churchill during World War II. The generation of poets who formed the core of the Harlem Renaissance, including Langston Hughes and Count A. Cullen, identified Claude McKay as a leading inspirational force, and I came across his poem America this week, and so I want to read that. <clears throat> Although she feeds me bread of bitterness and sinks into my throat her tiger's tooth, stealing my breath of life, I will confess I love this cultured hell that tests my youth. Her vigor flows like tides into my blood, giving me strength, erect against her hate. Her bigness sweeps my being like a flood. Yet, as a rebel fronts a king in state, I stand within her walls with not a shred of terror, malice, not a word of jeer. Darkly I gaze into the days ahead and see her might and granite wonders there, beneath the touch of time's unerring hand, like priceless treasures sinking in the sand. All right, that's it, people. Uh, show notes and links to everything in this week's podcast are on my blog, Didastic Synapse, fbesp.org slash synapse. My website is The Floating Brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, fbesp.org, with links to music and fiction and multimedia and lots of other stuff. Shout-outs this week to The Likely Lad and everyone else who follows me on Twitter. You can find me at Duke Scath, D-U-K-E-S-K-A-T-H. Uh, it gets a feed from my Tumblr, The Sinistream, which has silly memes and lulls and stuff, so you can kill two birds with one stone by following me on Twitter. Uh, Turtle502 kindly said, if you don't listen to at Duke Scath's didactic syncast, you're missing out. So thank you to him. Uh, thank you also to Boston Hans for the kind feedback on the Sharks and Stocks show and to Stu for doing an iTunes review. I haven't read any reviews lately, but I will because I have a big ego. So thanks, and thanks again to the Duchess for making these awesome deviled eggs which are now gone. Sorry, people. Maybe she'll make some more in the future and you can have one because she's awesome. She knows what she's doing when she makes those deviled eggs. Let me tell you something. She steps in the kitchen. You better watch out. Uh, I don't have a lot of, I'm holding my finger up to the screen, and she knows what that means. Uh, the finger in your face. Uh, I don't have a lot of time to edit this thing, people, so I apologize if there are dumb things in here that I forgot to cut out. I'm a very busy man. Deal with it. Listen, I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. Thank you for listening, people. Please get in touch with feedback or questions or articles or interesting stuff. I gave you a challenge. I don't remember what it is. Oh, yeah, flux capacitor jokes. Uh, I think that was the challenge. Maybe there was something else. I don't remember. I can't be bothered to go back and figure out what I just said. ESP at FBESP.org is my email address. Send me stuff. I will stop talking now.
Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful.